We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Maximum chaos. Uh, you listen to Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And we have ourselves a whole new team. Well, not a whole new team, but pretty close to it. The uh, My head is swirling. I need to see it on the court to know what it's going to be. But Lakers make a couple of trades today. Give us the lowdown on what happened. Yeah, so additional deals, right? We're right back at it. We, I feel like we were just doing this. Very recently, when we sat down to talk about the Russell Westbrook trade that brought back D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. And so the Lakers made a couple of of additional deals today. The first one was an interesting one when it broke because we were like, oh, what's going on here? The Lakers traded Thomas Bryant to the Denver Nuggets for three second round picks. The theme of the day was second round picks. Yes. If, if uh, you follow the NBA, second round picks were flying everywhere. It was like Oprah at Christmas time. Like you get a second round pick and you get a second round pick and you might get five second round picks. Pete, second round picks were all over the board. Mm-hmm. And so Thomas Bryant goes for three to the Denver Nuggets. I, like good for TB. His role was going down some mm-hmm. with the Lakers, and he had had a good stretch, Mike, where he had played really well in AD's absence. But now with with AD back, he was, I think, going to find himself in in a bit of a dogfight for minutes, not only previously with Wenyan Gabriel, who um, got a couple of shifts a couple of games ago to, to sort of like steal some minutes, but with Jared Vanderbilt as well. And then... Um, I thought the I thought the thought was like, oh well, Thomas Bryant's out. That means Vanderbilt and Wenyon, they're about to get some backup Sander minutes, be well behind AD. Team will take on a similar identity, play fast, yada, yada, yada. But nope. Lakers trade Patrick Beverly for Mo Bamba, former sixth overall pick in the 2018 draft. Um, so they trade Beverly. And a second round pick, one of the three second round picks that they got from the Denver Nuggets, apparently. And so, Mike, this roster has been reshaped 
It's been reshaped around front court players, amazingly enough, right? So the Lakers traded Russ for, we said this last night, they traded Russ, a single rotation player, for three rotation players, two of which were guards. So that's tricky because the Lakers already had a lot of guards. But then they also got a front court player in that deal. But now they've traded um, a front court player for picks and then used one of those picks and traded another guard for a backup center who is big and long and has some three-point capabilities and can block some shots. And it's just an interesting mix of guys now that Darvin has in front of him. Where's your head at? Our brains are swirling. I've got scroll fatigue from Twitter. And so just watching all of the updates, but where are you at? Well, the first thing is just the, the makeup of the team. I don't, I don't think it's, incredibly different in terms of what the rotation is going to be uh just in terms of like of size and where guys are going to be it, it will be subtlety in, in certain places depending on what Darvinham does but a huge shift just in terms of the kind of personality of the team and that to me is just most represented by Westbrook and Beverly um you of course LeBron and AD are the two most important players but Westbrook and Beverly have these really outsized personality types uh, and and that you know does have an impact in the locker room for sure. And sometimes sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes that's what you need, and sometimes it it can be um, not ideal. But those guys going out, and then the guys that are coming in are are much more kind of fitting into whatever is there, right? In terms of Russell, what like he I think he's going to start for sure, and he changes the makeup of what the starting lineup looks like to a degree. But I don't think he comes in with any kind of you know, leadership ideas when LeBron and AD are right there. So I think he, he comes in looking to fit in, right? Vanderbilt comes in looking to fit in, certainly. Beasley comes in looking to fit in. And then you look at the the other trade with Mobaba coming in, and I think that's that's the same thing. And that, to me, is a good thing uh, with what the current structure is, with with Darvin Ham and then with LeBron and with, and with AD. So what is it that Darvin Ham wants from these new players? Well, you would you would think if you kind of go back to how things started this season and it's, we've gotten a long way away from that, but play defense, be super active, Mm -hmm. play the role. And the the team had morphed into kind of a different team of running and scoring and the, and the offense is working and they've gotten kind of far away from the defense and how to get there, Pete. I think there are a couple of different ways to me, the the kind of significant decision in the, in the, the starting lineup is just going to be, what do you do? Next to LeBron and AD, do you do, do you go with Jared Vanderbilt, which I think was the initial look that I would like to see, uh, and and just kind of a guy that's going to play a role specifically, be all over the glass, be all over the place defensively, can defend different positions in the front court, and even I would be curious to see him on some threes. And if the threes want to step back and shoot and try to take him off the dribble, fine, that's that's fine. You can do that, and if you get a couple shots off, great. So uh, that that to me is kind of the biggest part of it, whereas I think Russell is is the easy automatic starter. And then who you put next to him, the three of us might like Austin Reeves. Now Beverly is not is he's gone. You can't put him in that spot, which is part of what we talked about in the last spot. And Schroeder is another option if you want to be a little smaller. Uh, but then you get a little bit less of the just the versatility in Reeves's game. Some people might think about Malik Beasley and all of the threes that he takes and the high volume and putting him and Russell next to each other, uh, which I get would be an option, too. So is Troy Brown. So a lot to be figured out there, Pete. But but that's that's the way I would put it. It's the first thing is just the mood and the kind of dynamic uh, mentally of the team and the emotion. 
And then the next thing is figuring out how the rotation is going to fit around LeBron and AD, who now kind of get to resume their role of these are the two centerpieces and everybody else. You guys fit in around those around those two. For a good stretch of that, Mike, I was thinking you sound like my inner monologue has been for the last few hours of just like, well, we have this guy now, but what about this guy? And I could see how you could possibly do this. And that's part of the fun of it, right? It's a a great injection of life and spirit beyond the personality stuff, too, that you're talking about. I think it's got that that energy is multifaceted and I'm really excited to see where we go with it on a big picture overview, too. Like we're much younger now, just just. This isn't just a this wasn't just a trade deadline. I'm gonna rope Rui into this as well, D, that was just about this season, but it served the purposes of this season. That's why I, I'm so impressed by this deadline in general, because of how many boxes that it checks. There are some players that had been rumored that would be like, Yeah, if you want the best team possible this year, this guy's totally an option. And I have thought that the short term is very important. And it's very important that we go for it. If we fail, we fail, right? But it's important that we go for it. And I didn't want to hold on to a future first round pick at the expense of that. But what I've loved about this deadline is that we've gotten guys that can help this year. Like in my envisionings, what about this? What about that? Defensively, we have much more serious front court talent uh, in terms of Vanderbilt and then Bamba. And Bamba's not... But I'm I'm interested to get more into Bamba's game, and I'm resisting the urge to get into specifics about the guys too much now, but we're a much more serious defensive roster, and these are guys that can be around for more than a year. LeBron, AD, and Dennis are the only guys over 30, I think only guys over 27 now on the roster, and so both short-term and long-term, I think that this serves a lot of purposes. Yeah, I've been a big proponent of trying to build next year's team this year, and so there are some contract things that will need to get worked out. So Rui is a restricted free agent. Vanderbilt is under contract next season. We had sort of like, um, I think, given some mixed messages in in last night's pod. But Vanderbilt is under contract. Malik Beasley has a team option for next season. Davon Reed has a team option for next season as well. Or I'm sorry, his contract is non-guaranteed for next season. And actually... Mo Bamba's contract for next season is non-guaranteed as well. And and so the Lakers have some decisions that they can make on some of these players. And there's a lot of um, this or that and versatility that they have and flexibility that they have with these types of contracts where they could just say like, oh, well, you know what? Bamba actually didn't work out. So... Mm-hmm. And, but so he's an expiring contract and all it cost us was a second round pick. Right. And there's there's a lot of ways to work this. And, and so earlier online and I messed this up multiple times and I deleted it multiple times. And so I haven't put it back up. But there's an accounting. Like it's it's important to to do an accounting of what the Lakers have done this season, like the roster that they started with and what they are now coming out of the trade deadline. And so since the beginning of the season, the Lakers have traded Kendrick Nunn. That was in the Rui trade. They traded Russell Westbrook and they traded Patrick Beverly and they traded Thomas Bryant. They also traded as part of the Russell Westbrook deal, JTA, one Toscano Anderson and Damian Jones. That's a lot of players that they've traded. They got back 
all of the players that we've mentioned, right? So they got back D'Lo, they got back Beasley, they got back Rui, they got back Vanderbilt, and they got back Mo Bamba. Just looking at those players that they got back, that's a significant talent shift, Mm -hmm. I think. And from a depth perspective, they've just gotten better overall as, as a team. And for all of those changes, they're basically out one first round pick, a protected first round pick, protected one through four, reportedly, in 2027, and a second round pick. Because remember, they got three second round picks in the TB trade, and they sent out three second round picks in the none trade, right? So that's Mm -hmm. a wash. And then, I'm sorry, so two second round picks. And then they traded one in the rust trade, and that's it, basically. Right? Because one of the picks that they got from Denver, Mike, they sent it to Orlando. So really, all they did was trade Bev for Bamba, basically. Right? And that's quite the turn. And it's quite the spin of asset management that the Lakers were able to pull off here. And credit to Rob Polinka and credit to the front office. He, We talked about this some in the last pod, but he was patient when no one wanted him to be, including me. Well, yeah, for sure. And I will say we have paid a price for waiting in terms of this year, but we're not out of it. No, totally. And and so I'm just saying that when you zoom out and you look at what was what came in and what went out and what they had to give in additional draft compensation besides player compensation in order to make these deals work, I think that the Lakers have done as good a job as they could have done and probably even beyond expectations for what you would have thought was possible two weeks ago or three weeks ago heading into the trade deadline. And so credit to the front office. They've done a great job collectively. Yeah, I'll echo that. I think that's the first point probably too to take away that just all things considered in what they did, not just for the the last to try and make a run here, but setting up the roster for the summer and for next year, being able to make some of these moves without mortgaging the future and getting, I think the the roster today is better than it was a couple of days ago. They got younger, um, as you alluded to earlier, and there are some contracts now to trade potentially. And some of that will ex- will depend on what extensions are agreed to and which ones aren't. But I think that the idea behind some of those will be that this kind of keeps you in the game for, for potential moves down the line. And that was an important part of this, that if you didn't make a move, was going to be harder to do um, other than just signing somebody into space and, and then not really having enough moves to make around that to be a, an a, a especially competitive team next year. And you also could have several of these guys back for next year to represent some continuity, which has not been there for the past three rosters. So all of those things get accomplished. And I think now what Palinka and, and his staff and, and Jesse Buss and on top of that, just Darvin Ham and the coaching staff now, you know, they have a couple of weeks here of high pressure games of which they're going to need to win many of them to sort of see which guys are able to emerge and which guys are able to play and which ones fit next to LeBron and AD specifically. And the ones that do, I think are going to be rewarded and and are going to be in good spots. And the one that that don't could find themselves in other areas. You could say that same thing for any team, but that uh, all of that together to me represents a very successful trade deadline in what was a crazy one for the league. And I mean, I wish we had the time just to like, I'm sure right. the three of us could spend an hour just talking about Kevin Durant um, going 
to to uh, Phoenix and just everything that goes behind that. So, but to zero in to keep on the Lakers for a minute, um, I too was impressed with all they were able to pull off. And even if it's not a perfect roster in terms of getting to to check every single box that would be available, I think relative to what was out there and what types of picks that went in and out, um, I thought they did a, a really good job. Yeah, when you can serve the short term and the long term. Uh, simultaneously. It's a very difficult path to walk. So that's uh, really excited about where we go from here. Let's take a break and talk more about that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So let's start to dive in. Dealer's choice here, Darius. Who's the first guy that you really want to get into now that you maybe you don't know the team yet because we haven't seen it, but you have an idea of the final version of this roster? So I want to pick two because I think that it's the biggest potential identity shift that the team has in front of it and how they're going to manage this. And so I'm looking at Vanderbilt and I'm looking at Bamba, right? And so one of the things that the Lakers have done is they have reduced the number of playable guards that they have. And so like I'm setting aside Reed here and to a certain extent, I don't want to use the word playable then because Reed is yes. coming. <laughs> I was joking like in the text thread, the Lakers traded for uh, Wolfer Reed because against them, he shoots like Clay Thompson. And so he doesn't he doesn't necessarily hit shots like that against anyone else. But every time Reed plays against the Lakers, he looks like Clay. And I'm just like, look at this dude, Damon Reed. He's just bobbing threes. And I'm going to set aside Max Christie for a second, because in theory, mm-hmm. if they're not in the rotation, no one's feelings are going to be hurt. There's no managing the locker room because these guys don't play. Right. And so that leaves the Lakers with five guards. And then they've got now this interesting mix of forwards when you when you talk about Brown, who has started games at small forward, Rui, who has started games at forward between LeBron and AD. And then you've now got Vanderbilt and Wenyon 
and Bamba with LeBron and AD. And the prospect of what to do with AD and whether or not you're going to play two bigs more and sort of slot AD back into a forward position a little bit more often or play more two big lineups where shooting isn't the biggest priority that you have on the court or trying to maximize offense. I wanted to start there, Pete. And 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 so you asked me, oh, pick one guy and I picked two. And so of those two, I think Bamba's the super interesting guy. Mm-hmm. He's got pedigree, lottery pick. Like the Lakers have done a lot of this second draft work, right? With like Rui and, and all of these guys dating back to even Monk and, and, and all of these, these guys. Even Lonnie and Brown fit into that idea. Mm-hmm. And Bomba's another run at that. But Vanderbilt is also just one of these dudes where I watched a couple of Malik Beasley highlights and it's actually Vanderbilt who is a guy who like pops a little bit on screen. There he is executing a handoff or setting or setting a flare screen and then like swim moving around his guy in order to like sprint to the front of the rim to get into offensive rebounding position. And there's there's just yeah, I'm super intrigued by the idea that this team can now play bigger like Almost all of the time, if they actually wanted to, I don't think they're going to. So I start there and I'll kick it back to you guys. Like just that idea in general, because I think Bamba in his way as a stretch five and Vanderbilt is like a pure four, but who isn't a perimeter based four. Those guys intrigue me as those are two big lineup ingredients and they stand out to me as um, interesting guys. I love that you actually brought both of them up, D, because I'd like to talk about them in tandem on the defensive end. The more basketball I watch, the more I'm starting to conceptualize defense as on the ground versus in the air. And that that is how like the main separation between types of defenders. And so in terms of being a big man uh, and speaking toward fours, but big fours and the type of lineups that you're talking about. Jared Vanderbilt is that four, five type who's more of an on the ground type of player. He's not a great leaper, but he's got good length, but he's masterful at, you know, weaving his way around guys trying to box out. And he, he's a a really good hustle player. He's going to be somebody that I think the fan base likes. I was, I was laughing last night. I was thinking, I don't think I know a single basketball person who doesn't like, Oh, I, I really like Jared Vanderbilt. You know, that's kind of their attitude toward him. He has like a 100% approval rating amongst everybody whose opinion I respect. And so he defensively adds a component like, I don't think he can play the three defensively, but I'd love to see it. And sort of there's this amorphous, is LeBron a three or is he a four? That I think having another guy that's kind of like that is actually helpful because it's basically that other guy guards the guy that LeBron isn't guarding. He guards the guy who's more difficult to guard, at least in terms of getting through an 82 game season. And so Vanderbilt is more of that on the ground, you know, three, four type ideally. But who's who's before this been a four five. So if he can play that three spot, I think is going to be an interesting storyline going forward. And then with Bamba, Bamba doesn't jump very well. He's actually similar to TB in terms of his ability to get off the ground. But his wingspan's like, what, 7'10", like the biggest in NBA history. So he really helps in that in the air type. And you want to talk two big lineups. Seven foot ten wingspan Mo Bamba and seven foot six wingspan Anthony Davis. 
what does that look like? This summer, he was my number one target for the mini MLE. I was hoping that he would be, uh, and he ended up going for more than that, Mike, but he was a guy I was really hopeful for because I think I'm a big believer in that stacking talents and like, what does Mo Bamba and AD look like defensively? I bet you could do some cool stuff there. Yeah. So this is a, this is an interesting one right here with Bamba and with Vanderbilt and if we just look at what's happened in the NBA and take out the whole idea and what the wingspan is and the conceptualization of Bamba next to AD, you know, Vanderbilt has been the better player by a good amount from Bamba. Yes. And he's been the one that's contributed to winning um, in Minnesota and in Utah to start this season. He was the one he was on the floor uh, starting a lot of those games when Utah was pretty good early in the season. And Utah has, has slipped some, you know, they've been doing it in part for developmental purposes with Walker Kessler, who has been good, but still, you know, is a rookie and just playing a bunch of different guys and Vanderbilt has been put into a bench role and, you know, they just haven't been as good. Like he, he also is a guy that plays off that I think will play off of two legitimate stars. Um, well, mm-hmm. and he did some of that in Minnesota. Now I would say that there's a difference between towns and, in Russell and uh, versus what you have in LA with LeBron and AD, but LeBron and AD might need what he does even a little bit more um, with in a, just a different way though. Cause Townsend Russell are not really dirty work guys. Mm-hmm. And so Vanderbilt fit them and LeBron and AD can do dirty work. Certainly AD still does a lot of it, but it's going to have to come in spots and, and they do a lot more of the traditional star stuff. Well, too. So I absolutely want to see looks and how does Bamba look in this situation versus what was there in Orlando when they have all of these young bigs that all need some playing time, not necessarily a ton of direction, not necessarily a ton of or any veteran guards that can put them in proper spots. But like if if I'm going to pick which one will get the early playing time and it's going to kind of have a, a, this, the trust of the coaching staff, it, it's going to be Vanderbilt. Um, but, you know, certainly I, I would like to see what Bamba looks like in this setting as well. I'm glad you made that distinction that Vanderbilt is the the better player. Having watched him as much as you have, Mike, do you think he can play that three spot? You know, that point I was making about LeBron, at, is he a three or four type? Like, where does he fit in defensively next to LeBron? Yeah, I, I think that the NBA, this is where the evolution of the NBA is so interesting in that it's it's like what spot you play to me is sometimes overblown to the extent that teams are either switching or getting isolated into in different matchups. And it becomes more like, can you operate out in the perimeter on a guard? Yes. Like if, if you get switched out there. And to me, the answer for Vanderbilt is yes. Uh, and, and for LeBron, it's like LeBron's going to be able to dictate that type of thing with a good active defender like Vanderbilt, where just let LeBron figure that out on the court, on the flat. Like, Put them out there. LeBron's going to say which guy that he wants. And not that the coaching staff won't do this in advance, but I'm saying that the the other team makes a sub. LeBron looks over at Vanderbilt and he's just going to scram him over to wherever he wants to. And and like let I would just prefer to do that than looking looking at the roster. And like when Darius was was going through some of what the depth is, Darvin can still play six guards if he wants, if that's the style that he wants to. if If we think of Troy Brown as a guard. Right. If it's if it's Russell Reeves, Schroeder, Beasley, um, Brown and Walker, uh, like who one of those guys should be out of the rotation. But we haven't seen that that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So while we're thinking about these conceptualizations of, yeah, how about some big Vanderbilt minutes and Bamba some minutes and Rui Hachimura minutes and then, hey, the occasional Wenyan Gabriel. Well, what we've seen with this roster is that's not been what the coaching staff has done. And uh, so that's that's to me is what the curious point is, is how all of the 
the conversations that have been around this with Darvin Ham Shirley, you know, there next to Rob Palenka and next to the rest of the staff and kind of thinking about how this team is going to look and if they're different. I just hope that they they go in the direction of being bigger and don't try to play six guards uh, and in which is going to be tough to bench one or two of those guys. But to me, that's just the, that's the way that would help this team get better defensively and get better around what LeBron and Anthony Davis need, especially because Russell, by the way, can do a lot like from an offense scoring creation, that type of stuff. Like he, he should, he should be able to do to have more of a usage role there. That's kind of why I'm at a, a place D where since D'Lo is very skilled offensively and can play both on the ball and off of it to me, it's LeBron AD D'Lo and everybody else got to play defense. And that's at a premium at literally every other rotation spot, at least in my mind. Yeah, one of the things that makes it harder to play all all of those guards is that in the past, one of the guards that was playing was Russell Westbrook, and he afforded he afforded you the chance, not the it's going to work, but the chance to play multiple guards, like three guard lineups, mm-hmm. because Russ would scale up defensively. And he'd get rebounds, yep. There are no more guards to scale up defensively. And it's just like if... Except for maybe Troy, right? Troy, yes, but I, I'm I'm looking at Troy. But you'd rather have him scale down or be at an actual two, yeah, yeah. Sure. Right. Well, also too, it's just like Troy is going to be the guy who remember at, at the beginning of the season where we talked about the Troy versus Lonnie battle and like that potentially mm-hmm. being a battle, and the way that this roster now has been built is that that seems more likely now. And I would throw Beasley into that mix as well, right? And so... Yeah, it seems like one of Beasley and Walker are likely to sit, right? Well, one of Beasley, Walker, and Troy. You're not wrong. One of those three. That hurt to sit Troy, man. I'm just putting it out there. My whole thing is, it's pretty straightforward to me. Dennis and D'Lo are going to play. LeBron is going to play. AD is going to play. I think Rui is going to play. Although Rui could see his minutes cut, Vanderbilt is going to play. And then at that point, it's Austin's going to play. And then at that point, you've got three or four players left for two rotation spot for two guys who are going to play consistently. And there are going to be guys. And this is what happens when you trade a single player for three who can play. Like the Lakers did not make a consolidation trade today. They traded Thomas Bryant for a non-rotation player, but in the Russ trade, they got three rotation players while only shipping out one. So you're still net one. You traded Beverly for a guy who can play. He doesn't play the same position, but that dude's a rotation level player. He can play in this league. And so you're actually plus one in terms of rotation players after the trade deadline rather than getting down to we talked about this a few pods ago but like trying to find nine Mm -hmm. well actually they went from like 11 to 12 or or like 10 to 11 right and so it's it's a tricky thing here but this is where player archetypes and the mixing and matching of skill sets is more important to me than ever because LeBron and AD are cheat codes in their own way. They can play any type of style. So some of 
the lineup decisions that were made previously, I feel like were very much impacted by Russ, who is not a skeleton key. He is not a cheat code. He is he is like the game where it's like mm-hmm. only only round peg can go through a round hole. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's just like, this is my one. I, I only fit in this specific style. And so it's just like, okay, well, let's play smaller and let's do this and let's do that. And let's put shooting on the court. And right. You don't have to do that anymore. You got more skill players than ever now, more shooting than ever now. And you've got a couple of different options at, at uh, the big positions. And so I'm like, okay, well, you could remake this rotation into anything you want it to be. And the goal should be, like you said, Pete, is to find as much defense as possible in support of the two stars and D'Angelo Russell, oh, who is wait. the type of skill guard that can unlock so much for AD and LeBron. Well, let's talk about Russell for a second. And Darius asked me about him yesterday. And of course, I was was there when he was drafted. And I found myself at the time I was doing the daily radio show. I found myself often being put in the spot where I felt like somebody had to defend him because he was 19 and he was actually being just about as productive as you might have expected. And when he eventually left the Lakers, he had his best year in Brooklyn when he was in a pretty good spot. Now, he ended up making the all-star team. It, it was as a replacement, and I thought that was, even for somebody that had defended Russell, I thought that was pretty charitable. Um, and he was kind of, he ended up being the beneficiary of a young, up-and-coming team that as a team played well, but had other guys playing well, potentially just as well, if not better, like, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie was part of that group. And But nonetheless, like, he, it, it, it had seemed then that all of the slander that he had taken while he was in L.A., at least some of it was unfair. And then some of that and really a lot of that came back in Minnesota. And he, as somebody that that watches a lot of Wolves games and is connected to a lot of people there, you know, he was very up and down there. Uh, He had some good moments. He had some bad moments. One of the worst was in the playoffs last year um, where where he really struggled. And they, in fact, benched him and played um, McLaughlin over him in in the kind of the key stretch of the playoff series against Memphis. And then this year, uh, just everything that has gone on in in Minnesota, and the biggest thing just being the nonsensical Gobert trade that was never—I'll—I'll I'll, save—I'll save my piece on that. I think everybody <laughs> understands that, but it just didn't make sense. And your, but, your piece on that is quite funny, though. If you ever do get the inclination to go on a full-fledged Gobert trade rant, like yeah. the, the LFR podcast would love that. Okay, well, fair enough. But the the point <laughs> being, I didn't love it, uh, and and Russell, like the effect on him, you know, he. He's been better this year in terms, certainly, of his shooting. Uh, I mentioned on the last pod that his like his net rating in the minutes that he's on the court have not been great relative to some of his teammates. His defense is actually probably better than people think, just thinking that it's terrible. And at times, it's not he's not that focused on it, but he has been more engaged on that end. And yet, there are just some things that he does that that don't all that haven't. Um, been, I guess, as directly tied to winning basketball. And part of it, I think, is on him. Part of it is on the situation that he's in and what his teammates are and in sort of what role that he's been put in. So I'm, as somebody that, again, has probably watched more Russell than than a lot of people, I'm very intrigued to see what this fit is here. And I'm not going to tell you that I have, ex- that I know exactly what's going to happen um, heading into it. But the idea of how he fits as a skill guard next to what LeBron and AD do on the offensive end. Um, I do like that 
that fit a lot. Uh, it's just that, like, how do you, how does he learn how to play mm-hmm. off of LeBron and AD in the right way um, and the way that's going to help them the most, you know, while still sort of trying to just play his game, which, which is he's always played a certain way. I don't think he's as stubborn, certainly as like a, a Westbrook, uh, but there, there is a way that D'Lo kind of likes to play that I think is going to be interesting to see how they integrate. So uh, I'm curious for what you guys have as, as early impressions about what might happen here. Well, from what I understand, one of the improvements in his shooting, he's shooting career highs in a number of metrics, has been they've moved Edwards more on ball and D'Lo more off the ball. Is that something that you've seen in the games you've watched, Mike? Yeah, for sure. And they're and they're they're trying to turn things more over to Edwards for a couple of reasons. But he doesn't Edwards still isn't great in kind of like the screen roll game. That's he's just more of a Mm -hmm. give me the ball. Give me the ball. I'm going to attack. My guy can't stay in front of me. I can break him down. I can take step back threes. I can get all the way to the bucket. And then as the offense eventually shifts to Russell, he is really good as a spot up player. And then he can if he needs to, he can run a screen roll like at the at, as the, the shot clock is dwindling and he can kind of do all that but their first option has been sort of to just give mm-hmm. edwards the ball see if he can create something good which he usually can for himself and then the defense is shifted and yep. in in that way right you could you could certainly have lebron initiate actions on on that side of the floor right or you could you, you could give ad the ball with russell waiting on the other side and that to me is something that's going to work really well. And it's, and it's just a different think about how different it is for how teams mm. play with, whether it's been Schroeder and Beverly um, on the other side of the floor, like outside of the action, there's just Schroeder can get that ball and drive it quick. And maybe he'll hit an occasional three, but it's just a different type of gravity. I think that, that Russell will have sitting out there. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that success as a shooter portends well for this type of style. D you always, uh, talk about second side action. And what Mike was talking about was really that, right? That idea of LeBron starts a play and initiates the offense and then Delo's on the weak side. And so that can either be a spot up shot or if he doesn't like the attempt that he has, that can flow into a ball screen after a ball reversal, which is something that coaches love. You Once you get the defense moving, somebody's going to make a mistake. You're going to be able to you know, find holes in the defense. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on on that, man, on that offensive fit, because I, I was thinking about this last night about how you always bring up second side action. I think D'Lo plays perfectly into that. He does. And so Russell's always been more of a combo guard than a point guard. Um, he definitely has point guard ability. But one of the reasons, Mike, that I think that he's always been a bit miscast is that he does play a certain style of basketball. So he did not necessarily fit with like the Warriors style of like off ball movement, pass, cut, screen, uh, read, read and react style. Russell, I remember... I remember this because obviously the Lakers drafted him and this is when I was knee deep in writing all of the time and covering the draft as best that I could. And I remember watching a fair amount of tape of Russell at at Ohio State and he played with another ball handling guard there. And he sort of split ball handling duties a fair amount. And Ohio State ran a lot of actions for Russell coming off of ball screens and working second side and then um, and coming off of off ball screen screen actions and then running plays where his reads were like, okay, well, this is the setup. We're going to run some Spain action here and here's where the cut's going to be. And and it really highlighted, I think, his strengths as a passer where he knew 
where he could see the floor well. And I think that he still has a, a lot of those those reads in him as a passer. The thing I like about Russell as both a second side operator, Pete, but also as someone who can just work as a skilled guard is the combination of his pull-up shooting skill and his passing ability and the fact that you cannot really go under on screens for him is going to open up different types of actions for the players who run screens for him. And the players who he will be passing to are more nimble, more agile, and have more dexterity than Rudy Gobert, right? And so Gobert's a great lob finisher, but he's not a great um, player who can catch the ball on the move, catch it in space, gather, finish on the move, if it's not going to be a dunk. And in LeBron and Anthony Davis, Russell's going to have guys who can do those things. And Russell's also a player that if he embraces this part of his game, and I'm not saying he will, I'd like to see it, but I don't know if he will. But if he embraces being an on-ball screener, a la Kyrie Irving, and how Kyrie and how Dennis Schroeder has and Austin Reeves has for LeBron James... Delo's also going to mm-hmm. get chances to run ghost screen actions and get yep. into floater range where he has an excellent floater where he can play four on three. And that's a critical late late game action D with LeBron in particular. We used to do this with KCP all the time, right? To set that ghost screen and you got to cover Russell coming off of something like that. And, uh, and he can either pop out for the three or right into that floater, like you said. And all of the difficulties that we've had on the offensive end in the last five minutes, I think, flip in a lot of ways with just the, the Russell acquisition. Russell shoots 39% on above the break threes this season. And he's shot 330 of them. This isn't a case of a small sample. He's taken like as many, like this is an inordinate amount of three point shots. And he's making a ton of them as from above the break. These are the spots on the floor where teams sell out middle against the Lakers. And LeBron is always looking skip to the corner because typically like the guy up top is going to be the first cover. But when you go to the corner, the swing out from the corner back to above the break, that's a pass that the defense is more than willing to give up because the above the break three is just a less, it's just a lower percentage shot. But the Lakers just traded for a dude who's shooting damn near 40% on above the break threes. And on top of that, he can shoot pull-up threes where he's shooting He's shooting over 40% on threes where he's taking three to six dribbles or more than six dribbles. So that's basically where he's just handling the ball up top and guys are setting screens and he's ducking around a screen. Oh, flip the screen action because a guy went under or a guy got got over. And so we're going to flip it and run it again. Like those are all actions where when you play with LeBron and AD and in this four out one in system, those are the types of looks that you're going going to get. So strong side action, weak side side action. As much as you talk about second side action, Pete, I'm thinking about strong side action. LeBron 
would love to have a dude that could be like, hey, you know what, man? I'm going to go stand over here. I'm LeBron James, but I'm just going to stand in the corner because I'm 38 and I play a lot of minutes. And it'd be nice to have a dude who could just take up usage, who's an actual guard that can shoot an outside shot. He's loved playing with guards like that his entire career, from Mo Williams to Kyrie Irving and on down the line. Yeah, that's something that you hear often from people that have covered LeBron going back to the Cleveland days and just being able to have that type of player. I would sometimes push back that, well, sure, but you know, he also won a title with the Lakers without really having that type of player. And in, you know, Miami was a little like Dwayne Wade is a different level of that sort of secondary player, but not in the same, not the same type of player that Kyrie was, but sure, he could give him the ball and and bounce off it. Just to push on that a little bit, Anthony Davis shot like a he shot like one of those those players as a big man. And they were just throwing the ball to AD and he was just creating shots against different sorts of dudes. And so I feel you on not having a guard that was like that. But AD was like shooting 50 percent from the like he was shooting like Kevin Durant, basically, during the bubble on jump shots in the bubble in the lead up to winning the title. And so I hear what you're saying about not having that sort of guy with the Lakers, but it was interesting because AD shot like that sort of dude for a little bit. So that would be my only. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still going to lean into the point, though, because LeBron, he does like that. And I think that in the sense of Russell, we have to think about this to me more basically in a crunch time setting and more replacing Russell Westbrook with him in certain ways and what teams did to the Lakers specifically with LeBron and AD on the floor in crunch time with Russ on the floor is not something they can do with D'Angelo Russell on the floor instead of them, which is just completely pack into the paint and sometimes even have a center guard a guard. They won't be able to have the center on the floor, first of all, uh, most likely. And Russell loves those moments. Um, and partly because what Russell is, He's a confident, good shot. Sorry, he's a confident, difficult shot maker. And the types of shots that he likes to take, even if this what didn't really play out in the playoff series last year against Memphis, are the ones that sometimes that you can get in the late game situations when the half court defense is locked in. And those are sometimes deep mid range type twos. Those are those are above the break threes uh, when the when the rotation can't fully get there. It's not necessarily a lot of tough uh, finishes through traffic. Although he does have a really high uh, finishing percentage at the rim this year, uh, which is interesting, uh, something that that uh, Joey Ramirez dug up, and we're gonna we're gonna talk to Joey uh, tomorrow, in fact. But so I'm just thinking, so while he adds a lot in that type of an offensive situation, and if the Lakers had had D'Angelo Russell instead of Russell Westbrook, I think they win a lot more of those games. Uh, but then they also have to account for Russell on the defensive end in a different way from this year's version of Russell Westbrook, who could defend some threes, who was really good fronting bigger players, like who was battling guys from Julius Randle to James Harden and, and so on and so forth this season, that who are the guys that are going to be next to Russell and LeBron in AD in those settings? And, you know, one of them, I kind of first think of Vanderbilt um, in, a, in a sense of defensive versatility and size and, you know, who's that other guy? Is it is it Troy Brown? Is it a I don't think you can go so big as to have Hashimura and Vanderbilt um, out there. Is it you know, is it Dennis Schroeder uh, in that case when you're smaller and he can if the, especially if the other team has a small guard? And that to me would probably be one of the answers. Um, but then that other player has to be a little bigger, too. So I but offensively, to me, it's a major upgrade uh, in that sense. And it fits much better into the types of 
areas of the court that you're going to be able to get shots from. And especially since he can hit those shots and he likes to hit those shots. Yeah, we've been uh, pining for that skill guard for a minute. And D'Angelo Russell, of all people, our guy D'Lo, man. Just crazy that he made his way back here. Um, It's certainly not all sunshine and rainbows. LeBron James is out tonight. Obviously, all of the new guys will not play in tonight's game as well against the streaking Milwaukee Bucks. So we might need to take our medicine one more night, but it'll be nice to see some of the the younger guys, you know, get some run. And Just thinking about who's actually available to play. Um, who's, who's available to play tonight? So Troy Brown, Max Christie, AD, Wenyi Gabriel, Rui Hachimura, Austin Reeves, Dennis Schroeder, and Lonnie Walker. So that's nine. And then you get into, you know, do you have like Swider and Scotty Pippen Jr. up um, as your sort of 10 and 11? Because I don't think any of the new guys acquired are available. Um, man, that would be great if they could just rush the Vanderbilt uh, specifically in the in the Russell and the, the physicals and get those guys out there. But I haven't heard that that's happening. So uh, if, if not, it'll be those nine guys. And it's a tough task, but, uh, you know, maybe they'll just they're all waiting so that Darius can see them play in person uh, for the first time in Saturday uh, up in San Francisco. Yeah, exciting times ahead. I would love for you guys to be able to watch the debut of the new Lakers on Saturday. So we will be back tomorrow again with the great Joey Ramirez. Talk some LeBron as the new scoring champion. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here's on the line. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, stick so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clocking out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.